this is Haley Nauman, and you're listening to the Maybe Baby Podcast. back to the Maybe Baby podcast. Today I am having a conversation with my friend Harling Ross. We're going to be talking about an essay that I shared last week as one of my favorites I've read this year. It's called Dreaming in Broad Daylight by Leslie Jameson. Leslie Jameson is a favorite writer of mine, so we're going to just talk about her in general, but we're going to talk about this piece specifically and um, not just like why we think it's good or effective from like a writerly perspective, but also just like what it made us think of in general, like as living human beings who are full of daydreams. We do get a bit into the nitty gritty with writing stuff, particularly how to be a good writer in the modern era. Harling's working on a book. I obviously write every week, so we're very invested in this particular topic. We're also going to be talking about our own daydreams, um, kind of like our more embarrassing or shameful daydreams. (laughs) Um, For me, Daydreams are different from fears. Like a lot of times it's like my daydreams are more like the fantasies of like, what if this really good thing happened? But I realized like as I was editing this, I realized that like, I guess daydreams can also of course be like negative. I always think of those as like anxiety. So I sort of separated the two in this conversation, but they're probably all kind of under the same umbrella. But anyway, this conversation is also just like a chat between two good friends. So it doesn't necessarily always stay on topic. (laughs) So um, without further ado, hope you don't mind all the New York background noise. Here's the conversation. Otherwise, your weekend was uneventful, crowded with, actually, it sounds like it was too eventful. It was a little, it was maybe too eventful. Like I kind of like to have one night free, one night social. That's my- Between Friday, Saturday? Yeah. Actually, my ideal weekend. Yeah. Tell me. Friday night plan. Okay. Saturday, no plans. Zero all day? Zero. Just like I I sort of like make of it as I will. You know what I mean? Depending on if I'm hungover or whatever. Okay. And then Sunday, day plan. Like currently, today, what we're doing right now. It's a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Harling and I are sitting in my office. We met. It's kind of between our homes. Yeah. We're gazing upon Allen Street in downtown Manhattan. At a lovely scaffolding tableau. I think my ideal weekend is like a plan at home for Friday night. So it's not just like you are staying home, but like it's kind of like maybe you're going across the street for dinner. Okay, this is literally what I did this last Friday. (laughs) Like you might like walk to dinner in your neighborhood, but like or or you're staying home and you're like ordering from like somewhere you love and you're like watching something with intention versus just like being like. When it's like Tuesday night, I'm just gonna do whatever while away my time. Yes. So it's like kind of an intentional night in on Friday, afternoon and evening blends on Saturday. Oh wow. Maybe just you like a stacked Saturday. Like an app, like like an like evening plans that start at like four. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean. So like a day to evening transition. Yeah, plan. a day to evening transition. I also kind of like a free Saturday with nighttime plans. That's that is one of my favorite types of days actually. To like be like I have something going on later. So all I have to do today is like, you know, I'm gonna go on a walk, I'm gonna go run this errand, I'm gonna like take a shower, maybe work out, do yoga. Yeah. That I w- works out once. <laughs> I went to the gym for I went to the gym this weekend for the first time in like so long. Like for the like I, I went like maybe once since the pandemic and like didn't really do anything. 
This time I like actually worked out and the secret to the gym is like having a plan. Did you do weights? Absolutely not. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But the secret to the gym is going in with a fucking game plan. So what was your game plan? Okay, I found this like treadmill workout on TikTok that I fucking loved. Oh, I've been seeing a lot of treadmill workouts on TikTok. The incline girlies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the um, hot girl walks. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, this was more of like an interval training thing, but when I tell you that I was fucking floating after this treadmill workout. You feel like you had an endorphin high? I had the time of my fucking life. And then I was like, I'm going to do this every day. (laughs) You know, not every day, but I was like, I'm actually going to First of all, the person I am after the gym is not who I really am. You know what I mean? You're like, wait a minute. I'm actually going to do this all the time. Like, I actually feel amazing. You're everybody that you're, you're the person that you think you're going to be. And then you, of course, fail to fulfill that at a later date. Yes. Um, But this time I genuinely was like, I had a blast. So here's what you do. Okay. You walk for 10 minutes. I like a brisk pace. On an incline? This is, no, just, just flat. Okay. Um, then you do a light jog. I actually have specific speeds for this. Like a three or a two. Yeah, it's like, no, it's faster than that, girl. Okay. (laughs) Bump it up. Yeah, two is like a glacial stroll. (laughs) A slog. No, you do a light jog for two minutes. And then you do, you do like a fast run for a minute. So you're going up to like seven. Okay. Kind of like a light sprint. Yeah. And then you go down to an incline walk for five minutes and then you repeat that as many times as you want so how many times did you do i did it only twice because like i also wanted to do like this floor workout thing i had uh-huh <laughs> wow you really i felt like heaven on earth you really did a lot of prep i didn't feel as good after my floor workout one because that's because i just concocted that myself did you bring it you were just looking at it on your phone kind of the yeah like i just made a note in my notes app of like okay. what to do but I was like, this is so much more fun because I think I used to be a runner for the listeners. Yep. <laughs> Competitive runner. Star. Yes. I was a track star, as they say. And my relationship with running has always been just like pain and like mental fortitude. Yeah. And like I, whenever I've gotten back into running, which I haven't had to do for a long time just because my knees and my feet and all my injuries, but it's always like this like massive test of wills. Like, can you keep jogging? Like, maybe you feel good in certain points, but you're like, Oh, I want to stop, but, like, I got to keep going. It's, like, this, like, mind game. Yeah. And even though you feel amazing afterward, like, the next time you're, like, I don't want to fucking do it. I don't want to do it. That's my relationship with running as well. So I feel like this was, like, a pleasure to do. Yeah, I I felt like like I could do it a third time, for sure. Do you think it's because it's a combo walk-run? Yeah, absolutely. Just, like, you only have to do something for, like, a couple minutes at a time. It's, like, so easy. That does actually sound really appealing. It's me. kind of fun, and like you get, you, it's like fun when you get to change. Did you watch TV while you were doing? No, that? I just listened to music. Okay. Something called like pop pump up or something. <laughs> I've been listening to '90s um, dance party as my. Oh, that's music. fun. I do like thinking like of you. Girl. Your music you listen to usually is like hip hop. <laughs> I do listen to a lot of hip hop. Like kind of like of the I have I, like I'm very nostalgic during my workouts. Like I like either a '90s dance hit, yeah, or like an early aughts hip hop banger. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like I like yeah for shop, sure. Candy shop. <laughs> that's true. That's a little further back than I'm digitally going, but to each her own. Yeah. I want to make a playlist, not to be like I'm changing my whole personality after doing one <laughs> treadmill workout, but I was like I want to make a playlist because at one point when I was running for like the two minute part or the movie was even the sprint it was like perfectly on beat with the song 
And I was like, this is so fun. And I was like, it'd be fun to make a playlist that perfectly matched up with this particular workout. Aren't there some on Spotify that are like 30 BPM or whatever? Like it's like they like exactly align. But I need mine to change because I'm an interval queen. Yeah, maybe you can just selectively (laughs) choose from those. Oh, that's interesting idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, I actually was thinking about, this is a little spoiler alert, but for my wreck of the week this week on Friday. Yeah. I was thinking of asking people for like their gym routines because I actually like, I want a little game plan. Yeah, and it, it like part of the labor of working out is coming up with what you're gonna do. Yeah, like wandering around the gym and not knowing what to do is hell. Yeah. And I don't wanna be like, I, should, I guess I could get on this bike, do some sit ups. It's just like, no, I wanna be like, I mean, my floor workout, which I kinda made up, it's just like, you know, you do three sets of like 20 sit ups, like one minute plank, like yeah. 25 leg lifts on each side you know, whatever else I forget, Put 10 push-ups or something, <laughs> you can do it three times, I just like completely make this thing up. But I'm like, I want somebody to tell me their perfect floor workout that will make me feel as good as I felt after my treadmill workout. Well, I really like Heather Robertson on, she's for YouTube videos, <clears throat> and she does a lot of like strength training stuff, which, I, which like I always need guidance for if I'm at the gym and like want to use the weights. Um, I'm scared of weights. But they're so good for women. Like, really? They're really good for women's bone health. Um, and Wait, also really? for your hormones. Yeah, like, um, weightlifting, like, heavy weights but, like, low number of reps, if I'm remembering correctly, is very good for women and not enough women do it. Oh, because, you know, you, I'm like, I remember all the magazine covers that were, like, lots of reps, low weight. Is like no. how you tone instead That's, of bulk. It's actually, yeah, we've been fed Shape a Shape magazine covers or whatever. <laughs> yeah, so you should do some strength training. I feel like it's also kind of fun too once you, because for me, I, I hate cardio. Like that to me is. Girl, bad. you got to try my workout. I got to try <laughs> It'll my workout. It'll change your life. <laughs> I, I just hate, I hate those. Like I used to do, you know, like in my early 20s, I would like go to Soul Cycle and like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now when I think about that, I like, I want to claw my eyes out. Like. I actually, like, the idea of going back and doing that is so important to me, but um, I know that, like, it's good for your heart health or whatever, so, like, I do try to, like, get the heart rate up every now and then, but mostly I like to do stuff that's kind of, like, low impact, and so that's why, like, strength training is actually kind of fun, because you feel like you get a good workout, but it's, like, very, it's kind of chill. I'm scared. I think I'd pull something if I did it myself. You have to do, be careful. Don't, like, go super high on the weights. Wait, what gym do you go to? I haven't actually been to a... There's a gym in the building where I live right now, but I haven't been to... I used to go to Blink. Um, That's where I go. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Um, Wait, maybe we can go to Blink together sometime. Yeah, I still have my um, little fob, my scanner. You're still paying like $25 a month or whatever? (laughs) I definitely don't anymore, but I still have the barcode thing on my keys, along with my man repeller office fob. (laughs) Oh my god. I'll never take it off. I have been paying for Blink for years. Really? Which is so crazy it's because pretty, it's pretty affordable. Or yeah, like I, I think it's that's a I think it's like term, but I think it's thirty dollars um, a month. It's yeah, it's not bad. I remember paying for it all through the pandemic, being like, "This is so no." I tried to cancel it so many times, but you can't cancel it online. I've already complained about this on the podcast before. You had to go in person. Of course, I complained about it once. How there was like a million hoops to jump through, and then somebody wrote me, and they were like, "It's actually like really easy. You just like go in and say you want to cancel." <laughs> it's really hard to cancel a gym membership, though. Like in general, I would say. I know there's, like, laws now, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, But I want to get, like, I don't know. I really, to your point about, like, not wanting to, like, push yourself to the brink, I really agree. Like, I feel like as I get older, who's I just talking about? Oh, I was talking about this with Verena. 
because she was interviewing me for Gossamer mm-hmm. about like my drug use, <laughs> and I was like, I won't give like away basically the exact thing I said in the interview that's about to come out, but just like I feel like my relationship with drugs has had the same change, where it's like I feel like I used to want to just like really get like high. Or, like, to me, it was, like, when I was young, it was, like, a failure if you, like, couldn't feel it. And now I'm, like, no, 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 that's good. Like, I want to, like, I want to barely feel it. I want right, to be, like, like... a gentle... Just the absolute nudge. gentlest... I want to be held gently. Do you feel the same about drinking? Yes. Absolutely. Like, I... The, the idea of, like, getting super drunk has just completely lost its appeal to me. Like, I... And I think if we were all honest with ourselves, the most fun part of drinking is, like, two or three drinks in yeah like that and the reason that we keep drinking is because that part is so fun yeah and you never quite reach that that again yeah like, that's the best part yeah and it's like like i love it's it's a challenge to me now to like how do i stay right in that little good area and you really have to like stop yourself from like having more drinks to like stay there yeah and you also run home over the next day it's just like that's the secret to me though like the only challenge with that is I will, like, lose my tipsiness quickly. Yeah. You know? And sometimes you kind of want to maintain it. Yeah, you, you have to maintain. It's hard to maintain. It's hard. It's a delicate balance. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to think if there are, like, certain situations where I'm like, let's get fucking hammered. I'm, I don't know. Like, the first <laughs> thing that came to mind is, like, my family does this thing sometimes when we're together called Mexican Friday where we, like, go out to Mexican food and get margaritas. Do your parents <laughs> just, get hammered, too? My, my dad doesn't drink, but my mom, yes, for sure. Okay. And, like, that situation where it's like, ooh, should we get another round? I yeah. mean, I guess still, though, I'm trying to get in that perfect sweet spot. There are some occasions where I think it's also, like, a, it is also, like, kind of a nostalgia thing where I'm like, it, it could be really fun to just get super drunk. But that, I only have that urge, like, maybe, like, twice a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, t- I mean, to be honest, I still do get super drunk, but I don't <laughs> want to. Or, like, maybe what I'm saying is, like, more... Maybe more than tipsy, but, like, light drunk. Yeah. Like, a little buzz. Feeling a little buzz for a bit is very pleasurable. Yeah, but, like, the idea of getting, like, wasted, it's, like... Right. I Well, for I think for me, it's, like, I literally won't remember. And that really, like, loses its appeal for me. Yes, because then what's the point? What's the point? Yeah. I mean, I guess you can make a philosophical argument for, like, being in the moment or whatever, but... But if you're, if you're wasted, then, like... Making you're, a philosophical argument the for moment. blackouts. <laughs> That's what we're here to do today. <laughs> That's what we're here to do today. Welcome to the Main Baby Podcast. Um, okay, well, I actually brought some notes. Let's let's get into the why we actually are here. Okay, yeah. I also took some notes. You did? And I was also like... Yeah, anyways, you do... You, you introduced the topic. Did you do some Leslie Jameson reading? <sighs> yeah, and I, like, saved one of the essays, the one about pregnancy to read on the subway ride down here because it was a long sub- subway ride because the four train is out today so I took the six uh-huh. and I've, I literally started tearing up on the subway like I forgot how much I love that essay and I haven't I read it in a while it's so good I read that this morning too <laughs> Ooh, we're so fresh and raw yeah it's very fresh <laughs> that's if for people wondering that's a, an essay called the quickening for the Atlantic right yes exactly yeah it's about Leslie Jameson's experience um, having a, or yeah, getting pregnant, but also having like an eating disorder and also having an abortion earlier in her life. Kind of like all three experiences like wrapped into one essay. Yeah. Okay. So the reason that I invited you on the pod today, aside from just being like, how can I get Harley back on the pod? (laughs) Was to talk about, I thought we could kind of zero in on this essay that we both read of Leslie Jameson's last week. Um, wait, what was it actually called? Let me grab it. 
Dreamers in broad daylight, colon, 10 conversations. The reason I actually didn't like love that headline because it makes it sound like it's not an essay. It sounds like interviews. Yeah, which is not at all. Yeah. So don't be fooled. I had sent it to you. I find this thing where like I don't send articles to my friends that often because I'm like, oh, they'll see it on my 15 things. But which like, is fair, honestly, because I do, I do feel like I get, I get your wrecks through that now. I know, but then I'm like, that's actually kind of sad because I kind of, I love like connecting on a single essay with somebody in like text. You know what I mean? The nice thing about that is that like it feels like. Versus, like, your 15 things, you send that to everyone. But if you're sending someone specifically an essay, like, I don't always, I don't, like, I kind of pick and choose what I yes. think looks interesting from your 15 things. But if you're sending something to me personally, I'm like, okay, I'm definitely going to read that because you thought of me when you read it, yes, you know? absolutely. Which is nice. Yes, yes. So that's exactly why I sent it to you. I was like, I know Harling will love this, and I wanted to talk to you about it. And we texted about it a little bit, and I just remember feeling like I wanted us to, like, talk even more. So I thought it'd be good to come on the podcast and talk not just about the essay but like the things that made us think of I also like there are some things like in a writerly sense just about Leslie Jameson in general that I thought would be fun to talk about just because for those who are unaware Harling is also a writer <laughs> our the basis of our friendship was when we were working together both as writers for a website called Man Repeller <laughs> and um I feel like writing is just like I don't know, does it feel too, like, strong to say it's, like, a big part of our relationship? I, I think that's maybe too strong now, but, like, it's a really big connector for us. Yeah, it's foundational. It's foundational. Maybe yeah. that's the best way to put it. Um, well, I hesitated because I was, like, work is not really that big a part of our friendship anymore. Right. But I think, like, working in an environment where, like, we were drawing from our personal lives so much to inform our writing was definitely, like, that. that's naturally going to, like, connect, connect yes. you, you know? Yes. Um, I also feel like we were... Even though I think we're really different writers, I feel like we would sometimes, like, write, like, equally, like, emotional essays, <laughs> which has, like, made me think of, obviously, you with this one, because, well, I was your editor for a while. Yeah. And I loved editing you, for, for the record. having you edit me. <laughs> because Harling's such a good and clean writer, which is, like, just, it's, like, I'll never forget when you were, like, I've just been working on something on the side. It might be nothing. And then you sent me this essay that had me, like, bawling. I was, like, blown away. And I was, like, excuse me? You didn't work me on this on the side? Which is a feat on its own because none of us ever did anything we said we were going to do on the side. one time I, I ever did that, to be clear, <laughs> for the listeners. For, yeah, like, saying you were going to do something on the side was always just, like, the kiss of death. Like, you knew that you were just actually putting it to rest. Yeah, it was It was basically saying it was a fantasy. Yeah, it's a fan- um, it was a little lie we told ourselves per Didion. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, so I always thought you were such a... Like, I feel like you were, like... You would save up your moment to, like, produce, like, an absolute gem. <laughs> That's and, a nice way of putting it. And I would, like... I feel like I didn't have a lot of those in me, necessarily. Like, I, there are certain writers who are, like, can, like... Like, I think Leslie is someone who can, like, take something so specific and turn it into a personal essay. And, like, I don't feel like that's a talent of mine. It was more, like, every now and then, like, the sort of impulse would strike. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um... But, but also you were, like, because you were such a good writer, I feel like you also got stuck with a lot of stories where people were like, Harlan, can you just write this really quick? Because <laughs> I remember when we would have, like, just be like, who on the team could, like, somehow make this good? And you'd be like, Harlan can do it. <laughs> who on the team can write about, or, like, a random, what was that, like, Meryl Streep tweet? Like, for some reason, that, like, the most random things that we were assigned because they were, happened to be trending on Twitter. Um... But, like, Harling was the only person on the team who could, like, pull out, like, such a quick, well-written, funny, thoughtful essay. That's just absolutely not true. <laughs> I, 
Okay, this is also a quick aside, but I listened to your voice note podcast from the other week, which I told you I really liked. And one of the things that made me laugh on it was when you, because it, 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 oh. it unlocked a memory for me mm-hmm. because you referenced it specifically. But when you mentioned how we would talk about the plane, <laughs> the plane, <laughs> like date, like kind of fantasizing about our plane crashing when we were like traveling somewhere. And so that we would never have to finish all of the, like a sauna tasks that had built up. And I vividly remember not only talking about that, but just like literally having that thought cross my mind, which is so dark. I remember feeling like that one time crossing the road, being like, if a car hit me, I wouldn't have to finish this essay. So funny. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard to like, I I don't know. Like, I feel like it's so hard to express like what we were feeling in that time. Because I know from the outside, it seems so ridiculous. It's like we were just producing like fluff, internet fluff. And we're like, we we wanted our plane to crash. (laughs) Right. It was, it was very low stakes ultimately in hindsight. But at the time it felt like. Well, that's what was almost like the weird, um, what's the word? Like cognitive dissonance of it, which is that like we knew it didn't matter, but somehow like our lives were at stake. Right. You know, that, that kind of sarcastic refrain like we're not saving lives here like it did it felt like we were saving lives like it felt like I was going into the OR every day <laughs> I know because the, the fucking deadlines never stopped baby yeah to write my, oh my silly little God. essays um there was a time when we were like a team of like four and we were producing 12 stories a day I mean that was crazy yeah that's that was why crazy. we felt like we were we might need to be in a plane crash. <laughs> that was the only way out. That's the only the way out. The gentlest escape. Yeah, heaven forbid we just like stand up for ourselves. We just say work. like I need a break or it was impossible less to work. take a break because you would put more work on other people. Because they would they would yes. never decrease the number of stories. It was always the same output. Right. And so if you ever stood up for yourself and said you needed a break, then you were literally making other people's lives hell. Right. That would be almost cruel to people it was cruel. you love. Like it was you, literally cool to take time to, off. To people you really liked and didn't want to do that to. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh my um, god. But yeah, like, anyways, back to your, like, it, it, when you, when we were talking about this essay and you, you mentioned to me that, like, Leslie has a very particular approach to, like, quote-unquote confessional writing. Oh, yeah. Um, which I then started to think about and, like, what made, especially because we're now kind of in, like, the post personal essay peak yeah, I mean, like yeah. there was definitely a boom that like could be pegged to certain websites. Like I feel like Exo Jane is like the best example of like the true like it happened to me peak, essay. Peak, peak personal essay. Yeah. Um, where definitely you in or at least like definitely in hindsight, you did get the sense that that people were almost like exploited for their personal experiences that were yeah. like very raw. And I started thinking about like the motivation of writing a personal essay, like what what compels people to do it, mm-hmm. and like. I feel like it really runs the gamut. Like sometimes it's for catharsis, sometimes it's for sympathy, sometimes it's for almost like um, struggle points, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but Leslie somehow has this like very—it's almost like a scientific approach to mining her life. Like it, like she almost just seems like really curious about teasing something out instead of like some of the more. Um, I'm not going to say nefarious, but, but some like of the, writing with an agenda, writing with an agenda. That's, yeah. a, that's a better way of putting it. Wait, let's maybe read. I, I pulled some quotes actually to speak to like what you just said. Um, like I think, so this essay, I think that like anyone who listens to this podcast should probably just read it. I mean, you should just read it anyway. It's yeah, an amazing it's essay. Like really I would good. even suggest you just like pause and go read it. <laughs> um, just cause this, 
like I, I just feel like it's it's a great piece and like especially if you're a writer I think it's really fun to like watch somebody sort of like flex a muscle that they're like so skilled at using yeah. um and then makes they make it look really easy even though you know it couldn't be <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, obviously, that essay took so much work to write, but, like, it seemed like it just almost like she was, like, in conversation. Like, maybe maybe she was in conversation with herself. Maybe that's why the headline was that, but it just yeah. felt so natural. So the more, like, confessional element of this essay was that, okay, so the, the kind of basic premise is that she wanted to talk, uh, she's exploring, like, our relationship with daydreaming and daydreams. And it's it's funny, because I think going into it, I thought, like, well, I don't really care about daydreams, or, like, I, I don't know, like, you kind of imagine this, like, cartoonish version of a daydream where, like, you know, someone's in class and they daydream about, like, you know, like, skiing, <laughs> I don't know, like, or, like, you know, the, like, kind of high school, like, you daydream that, like, you marry and, like, run off and, you know, there's, like, this, like, sort of fairy tale connotation of daydreaming, but, you know, as I read and understood like what she was talking about I realized like how central daydreaming is to like my life and I think everyone's lives and like how much actual time and energy we devote to like imagining ourselves in situations and um imagining what we'd say and imagining what people might think of us and like it's 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 almost like one of the biggest motivators and like why we decide to do what we do you know it's like I've been thinking about like you know, when you're decorating your house, you, like, daydream what people will think about your house or, like, how you'll feel in your house in the future, like, or who you'll be if you had a house that looked like this. Like, it's, like, even just the, the smallest, like, purchasing decisions are, like, kind of an act of daydreaming. And I feel like she really cracked this open for me and made me realize, like, what a big part, like, fantasy plays in our inner lives. And back to my original point was, was that um, the kind of confessional aspect of this essay is that she confesses to her daydreams and she brings up some interesting examples like it starts out with she starts out with a daydream about having an affair with a lawyer and um it, i think what i was struck with struck by is like she really got into the nitty-gritty of her daydreams and it, it, it'd be so easy from like a writer perspective to just be like i would i would dream about like having an affair with a guy you know <laughs> to like explain that her marriage was unhappy but it's actually like so interesting to just hear that you someone daydream about having an affair but she goes, like, she gets into the details. She's, like, she says, like, you know, he would save the world by fighting environmental injustice. I would save the world by writing literary essays. <laughs> that was hilariously, like, self-deprecating. Um, the rapid current in my daydream flowed easily around our spouses like two boulders in a river. Like, she's, like, the spouses needed to be part of the daydream, but, like, they also needed to be, like, pushed aside in, like, a romantic way. And, like, she talks about another daydream... Um, she says, in college, when I worked part-time as an assistant to an immigration lawyer, I daydreamed about making an important discovery that would help secure asylum for one of our clients. I would rush into the courtroom with neatly highlighted papers. The family would be saved. The courtroom would react with hushed voices. Who was that? Dot, dot, dot. Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> um, she daydreams about, like, she, ta she talks about daydreaming about winning um, a Pulitzer and I thought this one was a particularly, like, great description. A good example of, like, a writer could just say, I daydream about winning a Pulitzer. And you're like, okay. But in a classic, like, show, don't tell, she says, it's nearly impossible for me to daydream in the abstract. I never fantasize at the, about the idea of getting the Pulitzer. Instead, I fantasize about getting the phone call as I'm out with my infant daughter strapped to my chest, running late for work, realizing I'd forgot to pack the boiled zucchini she needs for lunch. 
It's a fantasy in which all the banality of being a mother is interrupted for a moment by an extraordinary moment of being witness as something else, an artist, a genius, whatever. It would have been impossible to summon that fantasy without the sensory texture, my baby's onesie and my own shirt dampened with sweat, the sweet almond of her shampoo, the rise of her curls behind, beneath my chin, the crush of strollers on the morning sidewalks. I mean, damn. It just, like, reminds me of, like, when you imagine, like, winning the lottery, it's, like, for me, it was always, like, yeah, you could jump to, like, oh, I'd, like, buy a house, you know, in Paris or whatever the fuck, but it's, like, that's so abstract. Like, I always really, like, got excited about daydream but like the actual moment i found out like just imagining like my current self and like my life and just being like you know sitting on the couch and looking at my phone and seeing the numbers and just being like wait what the fuck like you know just like getting you need the like the daydreams are so i get every day everybody daydreams differently but like i feel like just that little her inclusion of those details it feels to me like she's turning over some truth about herself for the sake of like understanding daydreams you know it's not like she's not trying to be like aren't i like aren't i so self-deprecating like look at me being willing to confess that i dream of a pulitzer like it doesn't like you said it's like agendaless it's like well i guess there is an agenda which is like more like intellectually curious about daydreams like it's like this type of confessional writing that's like she's not just thinking of herself as like a flawed being in this sort of like cutesy way She's right. like, this is literally who I am. Like, this is what's happening. It's like she's the text that she's unpacking, you know, like yeah. you would like a, a book, like, you know, yeah. where it's very, it's very objective and it's like, it's almost like fact oriented. Like she's like, this is just the truth and I'm explaining why it's relevant. Yeah. Yeah. She's like really, like, I just think that there's something so interesting about how willing to go there she is that like, you don't see often in, in writing, like, I don't know, like, I, I had this feeling, actually, um, oh, I don't know if I want to say this, because I don't want to, like, I don't mean to, because I actually like this writer, but I, I, right before I read this daydreaming essay, I read Gia Tolentino's essay about, like, is motherhood a rebellion or something. I read it, too. What did you think of that essay? I think I was only, I thought it was a good essay. I was only disappointed in the, maybe because, or I was trying to figure out, actually, why I was slightly disappointed. Wait, me, it. too. I had, like, a full, I was like, why did I find this essay, like, what bothered me about this essay? Like, I actually was really struggling to pinpoint it and I like had this whole like thought spiral so I'm so curious to hear what what you have to say yeah I'm not and I, I like I'm not positive what it was yet but part of me was like maybe I went into it with the wrong expectations like in the past I've really appreciated how deep and detail oriented she goes into a topic like I think her outdoor voices essay is like a classic example of that like she just went so she went so deep and um like really like wove together reporting and personal experience um the one that she wrote about like growing up in houston um yeah the like religion drug one yes that one is i think another great example but in this so i think i kind of went into this essay like thinking i was like gearing up for that yeah and it ended up being it was just kind of short and um maybe like surface skimming Mm -hmm. um and i just i guess i was sort of i think probably it was just a matter of like having the wrong expectations for what I was going to be reading. I think I had some of that too. And by the way, we're talking about like, is it's an essay called like, can mother be a form of rebellion or something like that? Yes. Which I thought was a bad title, but or it's something in that vein. Um, where I just thought like this use of like radical language for like everyday things. And like, so I'm like a little tired. It wasn't of it, a really personally. ambitious title. I mean, it was. Yeah. You know, maybe that was part of the problem. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I had the same feeling where, like, and, and I think I had to realize, like, oh, like, Gia Tolentino is like, a completely different type of writer than Leslie Jameson. Like, she's actually, I think that she's more interested in, like, cultural critique than she is, like, writing personal essays. True. And so I think that, um, you know, naturally, I think that Gia, like, doesn't really reveal herself through her writing. And I think that Gia's a really great writer, and she can do a lot of things that, like, I, I don't think I'm suited for, or, like, as good at, etc. So... There's lots to like admire, but I think I, I realized listening or reading her, something bugged me about some of the language, like the, the ways that sometimes she does include herself feels like so perfectly tuned. It, it almost feels like it's this um, like this desire to like shape how you're seen as a as a person and as a writer, like the perfect amount of self-deprecating, the perfect perfect amount of like reverent for caretaking, and like the kind of perfect amount of like like dash of like leftist discourse while like saying that like you didn't do anything different from the script <laughs> and then like I don't know like sometimes I feel like um it's a self-awareness and like almost like a neurotic relationship with like yourself and how you're seen that I think a lot of writers who become like very attuned to themselves have in their writing and I've definitely been like this before and I just found reading Leslie's essay right after it such a breath of fresh air like oh like this is somebody who's like really going there with like they're not she, like leslie jameson is not afraid to like seem like a fucking idiot in like what she confesses to be dreaming about like let me read one more of her confessions yeah 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 this is like one of her more embarrassing uh daydreams <laughs> that she confessed to in one recurring fantasy that I had near the end of my marriage, I was married to a war correspondent, and while I was pregnant with his child, he got, a, he got abducted by ISIS and held hostage for months. There was a reel of film I played again and again, my body crossing the tarmac toward his army plane, and the wind lifting my hair as I watched his emaciated body descending the steps, kneeling in front of, my, in front of me, kissing my belly. <laughs> Sometimes the fantasy was in first person and I was seeing everything through my own eyes. Other times it was in third person and I watched this from above. It's shameful, to, it's shameful to confess a daydream like this, though I suspect many people have them, because it feels like exploitation, as if I plucked some abstracted operatic pain from a Hollywood premise, connected to the actual suffering of others, and called it my own in an attempt to brush up against a powerful feeling. Yeah. She's so good. <laughs> She's so good. And, like, that's, it's such an interesting example of also, like, it, like, I mean, it's only, it only starts to feel like exploitation when you're voicing the daydream, right? Like, if you're just having the daydream in your head, like, yeah. it's just in your head. Like, who cares who cares what the story is? It's also fake. Like yeah. it's only when she, it's, there's like an interesting thing that happens when you verbalize the daydream in an essay like this, because yeah. then all of a sudden, like it becomes like up for, up for discussion or like, you know, it, it like even embarrassment. Yeah. Um, it's like, there's a, there's a way to be like honest and there's a way to be like really honest. Yeah. Like, I feel like it's like step one confessional writing. Like I'm being honest and authentic to be like, I daydream about, like, having an affair. Or, like, I daydream about, like, a different type of marriage or whatever. But right. but it's all, like, it's, there's there's also sort of, like, brutal honesty for shock value and clicks, which is one type of essay. Mm -hmm. And then there's, like, brutal honesty because it really does serve a purpose in the essay. Which yeah. Which is more, I would say, what Leslie is doing. Um, yeah, absolutely. It has, it's such a different, obviously, it's so different in tenor from, like, the essays of you are where it was like oh like cat ball of hair like stuck in my vagina or whatever like, you know, like <laughs> is that a real story that's a real story a famous exo jane story um about someone who's what are those called when the cats have hair in their mouths just a hairball hairball 
Um, I got a hairball stuck in my vagina? Yeah. How did that happen? Very, I'm clicking. Very unclear. I'm sure it's still, like, archived somewhere on the internet if people want to go look it up. But um, that, like, is the classic, like, I'm just going to tell you the most absurd story possible purely because... Voyeurism. Yeah, exactly. For the sake of readers, voyeurism. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, like, that type of essay. And then there's a type of essay where, like, I was thinking about this where you kind of confess to, like, seem like a, an authentic person. Yeah. But you're actually, like, kind of withholding, like, the worst parts or the worst details. Or maybe, like... Yeah. I think I've done this. Like, I, I've been thinking back, like, I don't know, I feel like my mind just sort of, like, blown away by this piece like maybe unnecessarily like <laughs> who knows if it just like hit me at the right time like you know I'd just been sick and been like at a weird I've been at a weird place in my writing in general so I feel like I was just really inspired but realizing like there's so many stories I've written about that I could probably retell with like so much more brutal honesty right you know what I mean which I guess is like it is weird because that is such a normal part of just getting older but then to have all totally. this like evidence of how you shared something in the past online yeah is, is very unusual yeah, you know yeah, yeah. but it really does give you that perspective in such a sharp way of like oh like I would come I would I would come at that differently now mm-hmm. uh. yeah there's there's something connected with the I think the reason that we're connecting like writing with this idea of like honesty is because there's a way to like write in a way that's like quote-unquote like honest that's like actually sort of like you're like deceiving yourself a little bit like, you're romanticizing it a little bit. Like, you're using the sort of, like... I mean, you're definitely, like, telling instead of showing. Like, you're using this kind of, like, romantic language that, like, separates you from the actual act. Right. I don't know. Like, I think about this with, like... I know, because Leslie Jameson writes a lot about, like, her eating disorder. And I think about this a lot with, like, my experience with disorder eating, like, what I've written about it and stuff. And it's, like, it's always just, like, very general, right? I'm never, like, getting into the nitty-gritty of, like, what the fuck was going on in my mind, you know? Like, the, like, crazed thoughts I would have about, like my weight and things like that. It's like, you don't really go there. You just sort of like, you sort of hand wave at it and you talk about like not wanting to take up space or whatever, which is right. a very general <laughs> term. Or like, it's like, what does that really mean? I mean, I know Leslie Jameson used that in her essay. And I, as I reread it, because the first time I read it, I feel like that was a bit of a fresher idea. Yeah. And now in hindsight, I bet if Leslie read this essay now, she'd be like a little cringed at that, at yeah. that phrasing. I actually agree. I thought that some of that essay was like, she would write better today. Yeah. Even though it was only four years ago. A lot's changed. A lot's changed. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I completely agree. That, well, the essay that you were referencing earlier, the one that I kind of wrote on the side and sent to you out of the blue, like that was about my body and I... Wait, which one? Sorry. Oh, the one I made that you wrote. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I think I've read it like once since, like maybe a year ago, just because... It is one of the essays that, like, stands out in my mind as, like, one where I, like, got a lot of positive feedback yeah. from readers. Which I can see why. Like, it's a, re- it's a really relatable topic for a lot of people. But, like, and, like, at the time I remember writing it and, like, feeling like a fucking poet. Like, <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> you know, it's, like, a very dreamy, like, so every sentence is not a different metaphor. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and, like, but you're right. There's, like, not a lot of, like, actual visceral detail about, like, what I was describing. You know, it was kind of, it was broad strokes. Um, Which I guess, like, at Manor Peller, personal essays often were because they were relatively short. Like, we were were rarely going super deep. I'm shocked by how short our essays were. They were really short. Like, now when I write, when I say, like, I can't believe the R's were, like, 500, 800 words. I'm like, I can never get anything in under (laughs) 1,000, ever. Yeah, they they were quick hits. That's really interesting, yeah. That's, yeah, I think that, like, I mean, we were young writers at that time, too. Like, I think a lot of my... 
even up until now, like I think a lot of my newsletters and stuff have been like that. That's sort of like poetic language that like, yes, it does. It describes something for sure. But like, is it really going there? You know, like sometimes I feel like part of me, not always that it's been deceptive, but like you're trying to, you know, there's this fear of like, if you get so detailed, well, A, you reveal a lot about yourself, but also like people won't relate because you're getting too detailed. You know, right. people relate if you speak more generally, but actually like, that's not true. Like people relate, like you want the details. Right. You actually want, I thought about that when I wrote my essay this week about being sick. I don't know if you read it. I haven't yet. Okay. Like really tried to like be super specific about how it felt to be sick. And on, on the one hand, I was like, this is dumb. Who cares? Like, I just like was sick for a couple of weeks. Like boohoo, people are dying, blah, blah, blah. But I thought like, no, like it's in like, I had a lot of like very specific experiences that I just have never thought to explain or describe or like write down that that I think are interesting to write down just for the sake of them. Like there's no broader lesson. Yeah. And I'll forget them and move on. But like, I just thought it was, I was inspired to like try to just capture something very specific because because of Leslie actually, because she inspired me to, to do that. And I remembered, well, I guess I can't speak for if the essay's fun to read. <laughs> But I hope that it was fun to read in that way where you're like, or interesting to be like, whoa, yeah. Yeah, like that's so really specific, but like I felt that when I was sick too and I've like never even thought to say it or whatever. Yeah, there's like a lot of texture that is added once you start peppering in those more like so specific to you details. Like I even thought that when I was listening to your voice note podcast from the other week, which was probably even before you read this essay, but like even when you were like describing... Just, like, the randomness of you being in a bad mood because of, like, having to, like, look at a grocery list. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, little things like that. It's not necessarily, like, ever, like, hundreds of people are going to be, like, same girl, like, you know. (laughs) grocery list. Yeah, Yeah. but it's still, like, it was the pleasure of um, reading about, like, someone, like, someone, it was, it felt, I don't know, like, there's, like, a, a certain, like, generosity in giving people those kinds of details, you know what I mean, that maybe don't necessarily make you look good in that moment, but are, like, almost, like, like, there's something, for me at least, like, it was, like, almost, like, relieving to listen to, not because I'd had that exact experience, but because I've had other experiences where, you know, like, that, like, almost connect to it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So it it does feel like a little gift in a way, and that's kind of how I feel when I'm reading Leslie's essay sometime. I'm like, thank thank you for writing this, even though, you know, like, like, I do feel really grateful for um, people who go there. It's so easy to forget, I think, especially in this, like, media climate to, like, there's just this, it's so tempting to be really sweeping. Mm -hmm. You know, like, everything feels so big and systemic, and, like, everything feels so, like, far away and out of our control, or, like, you know, like, we all talk about, like, doom scrolling, or whatever, but it's like, what does that really feel like? Like, what is it, like, I feel like everything is so, it's so easy to speak in, like, these general poetic terms right well it's also literally easier like it's, it's hard to easier. articulate a specific experience yeah it takes more work yeah and i also think it takes a little bit of in like you have to just like turn off the part of your brain that's like this is too detailed it doesn't matter nobody will care right i think about this a lot of times with telling stories like socially is that i find that like i think about this in comparison with me and avi because the way we would tell a story if we experience something together, it's totally different. Yeah. Avi will give so much more detail. And, like, I think that it gets annoying sometimes, but for me, because, like, 
it's hard for me to say other people's experience like do they think he's getting detailed like I experience it so I'm like well this is boring right <laughs> but at the end of the day it's actually kind of like you know when somebody's telling a story and they're sort of zipping through the best parts being like well anyway like so what the and they're just sort of they're summing things up it's like actually not as good of a story yeah when someone is afraid that they're boring you Totally. And I am so like that. Me too. I do think it's kind of a gendered thing. Like, it's, I do think it's, it tends to be gendered. It tends to be gendered. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a stereotype, but I have found it anecdotally to be true in a lot of cases. Yeah. Because um, I often feel that way too. I'm like, I must tell the most bare bones version of this as possible because like, then it's your turn to speak. You know? Right, like, right, right, right. And I don't notice that with other people, mostly guys. But again, that's a, that's a broad stroke. <laughs> no, it's a broad stroke, but I think I think it's I think it has to do with like the, a lot of like over socialization of women, where we're like, again, this just has to do with conditioning and like kind of the climate we grew up that happened to create this trait in a lot of us. But it's like thinking too much. I mean, this is kind of speaks to our politeness conversation, where you're like yeah. you're thinking too much about other people's perception of you and their experience to an extent that like it's actually inhibitive to connection. Right. I think that like for me. A really a friendship I cherish is one where like I know that they want the details yeah like I think about with you for instance I will tell you fucking I'll talk forever which I love <laughs> I just give you so much detail and I feel so free <laughs> um and I want the details from you and like I think of like other friends like my sister like obviously I think this is what moms are great for yes bless moms <laughs> like you can just call them and have absolutely nothing to say they just want the deets yeah they just want to know like all the boring like literally anything that you have to say about your mind or your life or what you're doing yeah there's <laughs> like really such sweet. a there's a freedom to be like get into the details and like not be self-conscious that like you're boring somebody but I think that like this is a it's a good lesson to remember I think with like telling a story or with writing that like details make something interesting and like if you believe that your own thing story is interesting it becomes more interesting it's like it, you really shoot yourself in the foot it, it's very like self-defeating instincts like you make the story my more boring by worrying that it's boring and like skipping over the good parts yeah um yeah and it's interesting to consider like times in the past where I thought I was being really honest in a story but then like if I compare it to, let's say, like, I have a Word document on my computer where I just, like, I guess you could call it a journal, but, like, I really just use it as, like, a place to deposit, like, thoughts I'm having or, like, things I want to remember that I did. And, like, I'm so honest in that to the point where, like, if someone read it, like, I mean, we've talked about this before, like, would you want someone to read your diary? Yeah. It definitely does not paint me in a flattering light. Like, it makes me seem, like neurotic and insecure about so many different things but I think because like that's sort of like the nature of what I'm compelled to at least like record in this kind of document like I want to know like what I was being neurotic about or anxious about you know like that's kind of what's interesting and when I compare that to stuff and like that's almost like evidence that like you should kind of use that in writing you know like because if that's what's interesting to you that's probably what's going to be interesting or like future you because you're like oh I want to record this so that future me can can remember this like that's probably what's going to be interesting to other people now as well yeah yeah and I feel like when you run up into the like this is the problem I think with I think being like the writer as personalities if you're too focused on like crafting your image it's going to get in the way of good writing like you're yeah that's interesting in the context of Leslie too because I feel like she's like a little under the radar Mm -hmm. you know which has maybe been helpful in terms of like preserving that She's not thinking too much about what her public persona is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Maybe, that, maybe that's a stretch, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think that she's just... She's kind of like a writer's writer, I mm-hmm. think. Um, beloved by writers. And I think that she... 
does press, but like for writers. Like, like it's like a podcast about writing, right. or like an interview about writing. Like she's just such a. She, it's kind of old school almost. Like she's not yeah. really trying to be a personality. I think this was always, I think, like a little bit of a limit to Gia's Tolentino's work is that she, and I, I definitely relate to this. So it's it's the kind of thing where you like you don't like something that in someone else that you don't like in yourself, right? Um, but like just being like too aware of like of being like the perfect amount of flawed but like within your control and like the perfect amount of self-deprecating like you're the perfect amount of humble but like nothing so humble that it's annoying and like you're like <laughs> you're like you know you're a little bit like mentioning like drugs and partying but like not so much that like other types don't like relate to and like there's just like she's very and like maybe she is just like naturally kind of that type that's i don't think that she's lying but like when you're too aware of your reputation i think it's easy to accidentally like keep tuning it yeah you know and like revealing not lying but like revealing the details that you know are going to be additive to that image right and i think like and maybe this is i think this is probably just a taste thing but like with trick mirror i felt like where is she like i felt like she was missing from it and to be fair it's like cultural criticism so maybe she didn't need to be in it but i felt like she was kind of in it but in like a very guarded way I never read Trick Mirror. Oh, you didn't? No, I know I need to. I just like. I one don't of those think ones. you need to. Well, I feel like I do because it was such a like a cultural about artifact. Book. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's one of those ones where I'm like, oh, I must, and that has been like, I, like I've I would always rather read something else for some reason, even though I'm sure it's really good. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like I mean, you should read it and let me know what you think. But I remember just feeling like she revealed just enough to like make make herself into sort of like a public figure, but like not enough to like seem like a real person or like feel like it was confessional to like an interesting effect right or only in a way that made her seem like just as bad as everyone else you know that i don't know like and i think there's some self-consciousness there that i'm guessing she like wouldn't deny that i think all of us relate to right it's a it's almost like a protective measure it's a protective measure but it's i just been finding it interesting to think about like what happens when you let that into your work too much? Mm-hmm. And, like, how do you not do that? Right. And, like, I think work writing, specifically, gets, like, better, like, as you push that away. Yeah. And it's hard. I think it's hard to do, but... Right. And, like, I, I also need to read that other book that you've talked about before about um, those writers who would, like, kind of, like, critique each other all the time. Yeah. Um, and it's sharp. Sort of, sharp. Yeah, yeah, it kind of relates to that in my mind, too, and that, like... Just feeling a little bit more free to say exactly what you're thinking or exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, that's, it's not something that's as common anymore. The social media era, I feel like, has made everybody really self-conscious. So, like, even even writing that I think, like, not to belabor it, but, like, I think she is, like, really talented. Like, she's a much more famous writer than me. Like, I'm not, like, far be it for me to be, like, here's how she could improve. But I just think, you know, just as a, as a writer reading other writers' writing and, like, wanting to figure out what makes it good or, like, effective or not. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, I think that it's interesting to... Wait, I forget the beginning of my sentence. I lost my train of thought. We were talking about how so in the social media era... Oh, yeah, the social media era, like, it makes you hyper-aware of yourself. Yeah. And, like, as we turn writers increasingly into personalities, like, their writing, I think, will suffer... Do you feel like, like part, because it's interesting for me to think about also in the sense that I don't write regularly anymore. Yeah, that's interesting. So, you know, like, and that sometimes almost feel, I miss it, you know, of course, but it also feels like a relief. Like, 
because yeah. it does feel like it feels kind of risky to do that yeah. on a regular basis because you're like you're putting yourself out there. You know that like you're like you're not necessarily going to be everyone's cup of tea. Your life isn't going to be everyone's cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Your opinions aren't like there's some kind of like and that like doing that over and over again on such a routine basis like it kind of like leaves you um it makes you more vulnerable. Like just like the more the more um the more often you're doing it, the more opportunity there is for, like, someone to misunderstand what you mean or, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, it's it's a weird feeling to just, like, both miss it and also feel, like, enormous relief that I'm not exposed to that anymore, you know? like Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like you're thinking about that a lot when you're writing or is it more, like, do you think you've kind of developed, like, a thicker skin or just, like, care less, I guess? I, by, like, I just, like, don't get as much feedback. Mm-hmm. So it's de- it's definitely, like, helped just, like, quiet that, like, overactive voice of, like, how will this be perceived? Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, especially when I, like, change and grow, and there's all this evidence of, like, this version of me before I grew in that particular way, and then I'm, like, oh, there's so much evidence of, like, my <laughs> former selves. Yeah. And especially on the internet where everything seems very, like, it all seems like in the happening in the present because it's all available. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, like, if anything, I have, like, a paranoia that I will later disagree with what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a... And, the, like, the irony is, like, a, that's fine. You yeah, know? like, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it's like, well, then what am I doing spreading lies? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, but I think, you know what? I just feel a little more invisible. Like, I don't feel as, like... I, I don't know, maybe I have more people reading my writing now, but it doesn't feel that way, like, compared to Man Repeller. Like, mm-hmm. Man Repeller, I was, like, so forward-facing. I was so out there. Now I feel more private. Like, not that much of my life is online. Like, I write about it, but I don't know if people, like, who read my newsletter necessarily have, like, a strong grasp on, like, my day-to-day. Right. I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they do. It's hard to say, but maybe this is a good time to get into our own daydreams. Yeah. Because what, when you asked me that question, I was thinking, like, I wrote, like, some down some notes thinking about, like, what are my, like, embarrassing daydreams or, like, what are my things I think about, fantasize about? Yeah, me too. I wrote down some notes. Because I was also, like, I never thought about how different people's daydreams can be until I read the story, which is stupid, like, because that's obvious. But, yeah. like, you really, it's really easy to get inside, like, so inside your own head that you're like, this must be how everyone thinks about this, you yeah. know? Like... And so it was so interesting, even like that she talks about, so for, um, just for context, she talks about this support group online called Wild Minds, which is like, it's support for people who are excessive daydreamers. Um, like people who are so wrapped up in their daydreams that they'll sometimes spend like multiple days in bed just daydreaming. Like it almost like takes them out of reality in uh-huh. a way that's probably pretty debilitating based on um, the descriptions. And that definitely, like that's obviously like a really extreme scenario, but there were other variations as well that she talked about. Like some people like are very visual in their daydreams. Some people daydream about what's possible. Other people daydream about what's impossible. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of interesting to see where I fell on the spectrum of like, you know, more more mundane to like absolutely insane yeah, yeah <laughs> the daydreaming yeah. scale uh-huh um i feel like i daydream more about what's possible as an adult at least but i do remember as a child daydreaming more about what's impossible um like i had like i mean this is so nerdy but i was really obsessed with lord of the rings for a long period of time when i was uh like 12 
and I would daydream about being Aragorn's daughter. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that was a big one for me. Well, I forgot that you're a Lord of the Rings nerd. Yeah. I love that. I definitely would daydream about, like, getting a letter for Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about this daydream, like, I don't know where this would fall in the realm of, like, possible to impossible, but I remember when I was young and I hated my hair. Like, I just remember my hair was so, like, thick and curly, and it just, like, wasn't what was cool at the time. And... I used to, I used to like, I don't know what you call this, but like, I would imagine that I had the worst hair in the world just so I could be like, no way, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And then like the, the response, the, the, the fact that like there was no way that was true, like gave me comfort. Like I just, like, I don't know. It was just like, I would like test out this like reality that I knew wasn't true. Yeah. Just so I could be like, no way. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> it's just so funny. Like these like. These ideas, like, I do this sometimes, like, you imagine the most extreme scenario that you know isn't true just so you can be like, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, like, kind of like a comforting check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Um, one that I remember from being a kid. And then as a kid, definitely had a lot of, like, romantic daydreams. Like, as a teenager, you know, like, imagining, like, this boy liking me or kissing me or whatever, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which feels really sweet to think about. I think I would imagine, like, being in, like, in middle school, I remember thinking, like, I wanted to be in a relationship and I wanted us to like hold hands after school and like kiss. And then I wanted people to be looking on and be like, wow, they're such a cute couple. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I needed to be like so detailed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like people need, I not only like needed to be in a boyfriend, but people needed to like people envy our to relationship. observe the relationship. Yeah, they needed like... to observe it and be <laughs> like, wow, they're such a cute couple. Like they're so good together. That's really funny. Even though of course I wasn't. I mean, I like... I was in, like, the most pathetic, really, like, five-day relationships in middle school <laughs> where we never kissed or anything like that. Before Austin and I started dating in high school, obviously we knew each other for years before that, and I remember, like, picking out specific outfits because I thought that, like, this would be a good outfit. Like, if, like, like if we did end up kissing when we were, like, 12 or 13 or whatever, I was like, this would be the right... Like, First I would, like, outfit. I definitely, like, attach daydreams where I would, like, imagine myself wearing this outfit in the scenario and that's why I had to wear it you know so like th- those were some of my early style associations <laughs> where like we're definitely with that that connection in mind wait clothes are the big one like well yeah. before we move another side you just reminded me of one which is like in high school I remember like I-, I just didn't have much like luck in the romance department um like especially like maybe towards like the very very end of well I'm thinking like towards the end of high school like I had like a little thing with a guy who ended up being gay. <laughs> so I guess that wasn't really romantic luck. Um, but, like, I would really daydream about, like, g- like guys or, like, maybe one particular person, like, whoever I had a crush on, like, falling in love with me from afar. Like, I remember thinking, like, they would fall in love with, like, the details. Like, in particular, like, I always, like, held a chapstick and I had this way of, like, playing with the chapstick in my fingers, like, when I walked. And I think I would imagine that, like, they loved the way I did that. Because that would be in, like... A novel. Yeah, like, it was so informed by, like, yeah. books and movies and stuff where I was, like, I think, like, I mean, this is probably pre, like, when a date with Todd Hamilton, but remember how, like, every rom-com there was, like, a scene where they'd be, like, you have seven smiles. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I just feel like I was always, I always imagined that somebody was, like, 
What's so funny is that, like, I would manufacture the detail. Right. So, like, it wasn't even a real detail anymore at that point. (laughs) Right, whereas in, like, the novel or the movie, it's something that, like, you're completely unconscious of. Right. Like, it's just an adorable quirk. Yeah, which is just, like, so then you try to manufacture them, and now it's all fake, but I don't think you think about that in your head. You're just like, yeah, like, he's staring at my hand right now as I walk (laughs) to the parking lot, and I'm playing with my chapstick. You know, and then you look back, and he's, like, like walking the other direction, laughing with his friends, and you're like, fuck. <laughs> you know, it's just so much fantasy. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting where she talked about how social media affects our daydreams because for me, Oh like, my God, huge. Huge. Like TikTok especially because it does feel like this like portal into infinite lives and worlds that are like vastly different from your own. And I like, I wrote down, I've been spending more time on TikTok lately. I've, you know, whether or not Good that's, for a, you. that's a cry for help. Um, but it like it kind of injects the particulars of a daydream into your mind like mm-hmm. it like gives you all the details necessary to construct it it's like you know like um add water and stir kind of and like like it makes you think like give me the details you know models. like what give me if, an example <laughs> like what if i like you know like i for some reason like a lot of like this is so random like raw vegans yeah. who live in hawaii and only eat mangoes have been popping up to me I'm like what what if that was my life you know yeah, like, that's yeah, yeah. just what it makes you think of like kind of you have a daydream about what it would be like if you lived on a, uh, a Hawaii a but Hawaiian what do you farm. specifically imagine do you get specific in your in your daydream I don't know how spe- I like that was another thing where I'm like I don't know how specific I get in my daydreams like I think I get like the sort of the shape of it and you don't I like don't, imagine yourself like making the food no or, like, sitting out on your deck I don't think I get, I like fill in those details all the time. That's interesting. Um, Yeah. And I also think that as an adult, like when I was trying to think of like what I daydream about a lot, it like almost feels like less fantasy and more like longing. Like I feel like daydreams are like an extension or, or an expression of longing, like things that like I want for myself, but that seem almost like potentially like, like not, not necessarily things that are destined to happen, but that, like, I I want to happen. Like, you know what can I mean? you give an example? Like, I feel like I've been daydreaming a lot about motherhood recently, like, because it's been on my mind. I, like, I, I, I think about what it would be like to be pregnant or to, like, give birth, you yeah. know, like, kind of those, the, which, and again, I don't necessarily fill in the details. It's more like thinking about, I guess, like, sometimes I, I, I picture myself, like, finding out, like, what it would be like to find out, like, where I'll be and, like, how it will happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but not really much beyond that. Or I'll, like, you know, like, kind of classic moments, like, listening to the heartbeat or, like, seeing the sonogram picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but again, like, broad strokes, like, things that, like, most people experience if they're pregnant, not that would be, like, so specific to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also daydream a lot about publishing a book just because I've been trying to write one and like I think that it feels very like I don't even like talking about it because it feels so vulnerable like it like it feel just because just because I'm like well it could so easily not happen or if it did happen and it was bad then like I would rather it not happen at all you yeah, know yeah but I in that scenario too I imagine myself like posing for my author photo you know <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> so yeah. dumb but like that's not even that embarrassing compared to my daydreams with my work what are your daydreams I just feel like I imagine, like, because I don't do that much, like, marketing for my work or stuff. Like, I don't think of myself as, like, prominent. So sometimes I imagine that, like, I'll be, like, somebody will, like, discover me and be, like, (laughs) 
wow, she's just been quietly doing like genius work. <laughs> you know how I feel about people who say, I've been quietly working on something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I've like, oh, wow. Or like, I think like sometimes one of my like more kind of like shameful daydreams since I've been like off social media. It is somebody, somebody who follows me and like would see me in real life and be like, wow, she's like, she's even like better in real life, right? Like she's like, wow, the way she carries herself or like her, her clothes or like, I think this is where clothes come in. It's, not, yeah. where it's like a lot of times where it's like, maybe people will imagine that like, wow, like I was, that like they liked me even better. Yeah. <laughs> like she's even better. <laughs> or like, they, or you know, with, with, sometimes with my writing I'll imagine like, since I feel a little bit out of, like I don't feel like, um, you know, if somebody were to make like a list of like New York writers who were like working in my vein, I don't think I'd necessarily make the list. Like, I think I'm a little bit, a little bit outside, like, the names that people know. And so, but then I imagine sometime in the future, there'll be, like, somebody will write about my work and be like, she was a little outside the fringes, but, like, was, (laughs) like, but, like, but, but, like, people didn't realize she was doing the best work of them all. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, kind of, like, the introduction. Like, I do think it's easy to, like, you know, the classic of, like, you're in the car, you're, you're listening to a, a song, your headling is leaning against the window, and you're almost like, this would be the song that would play at the beginning of a movie starring me. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, this yeah. is, like, my intro music. Yeah, like, that's yeah, like, yeah. kind of, like, I feel that way. Like, it, similar to, like, almost, like, this would be the opening line of someone profiling me in a, yeah, in a yeah, major yeah. outlet, like, <laughs> which will obviously happen. Like, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think you deserve it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the like... I think clothes are such a potent form of it, and I think this is actually kind of like an underexplored aspect of fashion, which is like how much fantasy is involved. I mean, I was even thinking about like, like when you when you're making decisions, getting dressed. I mean, I guess I shouldn't speak for everybody. I'll speak for myself. Okay. You get dressed and you imagine like what you'll look like to other people. Like, yeah. oh, like I love the way that falls. <laughs> like whatever. Like you're imagining people thinking about your outfit. Yes, and like, like what it says about like, oh, what? she's. She looks cool. Yeah, like yeah, she looks cool, but like it looks like so casual, effortless. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like you're imagining. It's so funny because like half of the battle of getting dressed is like thinking about or imagining what people will think when they see you. And I feel like this is like this is also gonna be like the sort of less enjoyable. I don't know. Like I think it's or maybe I would say like can be harmful to an extent when you're like constantly seeing yourself through like other people's eyes like it just kind of feels like depersonalizing sometimes if, it, if you're going to you're doing too much of it right um which i think is like the risk with with fashion like it's, but like i think a big part of it is like even today right like i'm sitting I'm, I'm on the train and some girl was like looking at me kind of stealing looks mm-hmm. and i was imagining what she was thinking about me i was like does she think that i look great <laughs> do you feel like you're someone who will like openly sort of do that to other people in public. Like, do what she was doing to you. If I'm intrigued enough. Yeah. But, I, like, for instance, I was walking up the subway stairs next to this girl who was wearing, like, kind of a funky outfit. Like, clearly, like, she was wearing, like, a kind of a bright green skirt that was long mm-hmm. with, like, I actually don't remember what else it was, but I just remember it was sort of, like, a funky, like, interesting outfit. And I was looking at her, and I thought, she must be daydreaming right now about what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. I was like, she's probably like, ooh, what does she think about my outfit? She thinks I'm so quirky fun or whatever you know what I mean like there's no way like you imagine in your head that like everybody's just like quietly going about their day and they're like they don't you know like you almost imagine like nobody else has the inner life you have but it's like no they're also thinking about what you're thinking about them and fantasizing that it's something positive right and sometimes I'll have a thought to myself that's really positive about someone 
but like I would never verbalize it. Like often it's like I'll I'll like see someone who I'm like their body looks incredible on, yeah. the, on the street. I'm like I'm not, obviously not like, going to tell that to a stranger, but I'm like wouldn't it be nice if they could know that I think that? Like, I know. I'll have a daydream about them like appreciating my compliment to them that I would never say to them. That's you know? so funny. It's like the meta daydream. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I think that it's like it's so funny like how much I don't know. You don't think so much that like daydreaming is a part of walking down the street, but like it is. Yeah, and it, it definitely, like, I think riding on the subway especially is the classic is the classic time where I, I often think to myself, like, isn't it so crazy that everyone on this train has, like, the same amount of, like, neuroses and, like, interior life that I do? Like, uh-huh. every single person on the train? I know. It's crazy. Yeah, like, Leslie said something in her essay that was, like, the, the, like you know, the ultimate dream is that, like, you get to, you get the life that, like, doesn't make you want to daydream anymore. Or, like, this is the idea. That, mm-hmm. like, if everything were perfect, you wouldn't daydream about it, something else. But, like, um, but that's not necessarily true. But at the same time, like, for instance, okay, pop stars dancing on stage. In our minds, they, like, are the pop star. And, like, in our mind, we, like, pretend to be the pop star. But it's, like, they're also pretending to be the pop star. You know what I mean? Like, they're also daydreaming. Like, celebrities are daydreaming when they're being interviewed about, like, how much you love them. You know? You're, they're thinking, right. like, I, I, they're fantasizing that, like, you saw them on Jimmy Fallon and, like, thought that they were so funny and charming. You know? Like, everybody has this, like, inner fantasy life. And everybody's, like, a little bit playing at the role that they're, that they're inhabiting. Yes. And, like, it's easy to assume that, like, no, celebrities just are celebrities. Like, they just are impressive. Or, like, a pop star just is a pop star. But it's, like, they're just kind of pretending to be a pop star, too. Yeah, I really... I don't think they're... It feels... Like, any sense. Yeah, it feels... The idea of daydreaming no longer being necessary once you've reached a certain point... Oh, it almost it almost feels, like, con- contrary to life to me. Like, that's why I thought it was interesting that she kind of referenced death in the end. Like, her mom's day... Her mom... She, she talks about how her mom daydreams about... Um, the conditions under which she'll die. Yeah. Um, because she's older. I think she's 77 years old. Um, Her mom sounds so cool, by the way. I know. Sounds <laughs> like amazing. Um, but she sounded really cool in the quickening essay, too. How she, like, swam around in the yeah, Baltic yeah. Sea when she was five months pregnant. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, it, it feels like if you're not daydreaming, then you're dead. That actually, that reminds me of another line from it that I really loved, which was about depression. Do you remember that part? No. My friend, this is the quote. My friend Anna tells me, I feel sure that depression is when you don't know what, your day, what you daydream about. Mm. Um, daydreams aren't questions to be answered, but questions to live with. Dangerous only when they stay static. And I think there's something very true about that for me with depression, where it's like you're so overwhelmed that you don't even want anything. Like you're so overwhelmed by like how like bad things are, or how like worthless or like how nothing matters or something like that, where for me I'm like, I don't even want anything. Like, that, for me, is, like, a depressing state. Right, like, it's not even worth the effort of daydreaming. Yeah. Like, I can never be nothing that to for sure. About. Or your mind is so busy that you can't cohere a daydream, or, like, it just feels so... I don't know, for me, that that really connected with me, that, like, the lack of daydream can be really depressing. It, it, yeah, it's interesting to think of daydreaming as almost, like, a measure of health. Like, if you're actively... It's almost, like... If you're getting enough sleep, if you're getting enough daydreams in, like, that means you're doing pretty well. <laughs> I think that's too simple, though, because you can also, like, your daydreams can also tell you something. I mean, this is the thing with, like, crushes, where it's, like, it's not good or bad, but it can tell you something about, like, what you want or, like, what you don't have. 
That's true. You know, like, if you're daydreaming constantly about, like, being a person who says what they think, it's like, well, <laughs> maybe. Right, or, like, being in a different relationship, than, which Leslie also talks about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I was thinking a lot about just, like, expectations in general. Like, we all have so much expectations for life, which is just another way of saying daydreams. Like, we've daydreamed about how this would go. Right. Um, I mean, it's just your imagination. But, like, right. expectations are daydreams, and, like... I think something important about this essay that Leslie gets at is that it's like, they're not true and they're not really meant to come true. They're kind of just a place for your mind to go to like a, a bridge to somewhere, she, she says, or like a way to escape or to know another version of yourself in another life. I don't know. I think what I loved about this essay, which I think is like a beautiful part of any essay is like, it just changes how you see yourself in the world in such like fundamental way in this case i was just like wow my life is just ripe with with dreaming yeah it makes you think of something that you might have otherwise um taken for granted as like it almost like makes something ordinary extraordinary which is special yeah i know and it's nice to say i think it's so easy to discount like literary writing i mean i know she's sort of self-deprecating about like how literary essays like aren't don't matter or change the world and like I'm not here to make the argument that they do but I'm I'm here to make the argument just like for art for art's ability to do this and like make life feel so much richer and like I feel like not to get too like saccharine about it but like (laughs) there's I can just see so many different aspects of like society through this lens too and just like it opens up it changes my understanding of like how we write and how we exist on social media I mean we didn't really deep dive on this, but like when you were talking about social media, how it like prompts you to daydream, I think a lot about how people are projecting their daydreams on social media. Mm. You know, it's like, I feel like posting your outfit is like the equivalent of like, of, of making literal that daydream where somebody sees your outfit from the right angle and thinks it looks great. Yeah. Like you need to make it like, you are turning that daydream into reality by like getting the photo at the right angle and then waiting to see people say they like love it or whatever. It's like, you're, t- it's like, it's almost daydreaming, like, in action. And, like, right. I think about that sometimes with, like... I kind of want to write about this, so I don't really want to give it away, but do you follow fave TikToks, 420? No. It's, like, she's a TikTok curator of, like, really cringe TikTok content. And a lot of it is, like, people playing out their daydreams. Like, imagine that they, like, save a girl who's in peril. Okay. Or, like, just these little plays that people completely create, like, make up. And it's just daydreaming. And it's, like... But what's foolish about it is, is like, you think that, they think that, like, I'm going to think they're a hero because I watch them play a hero in their daydream. It's like, there's something so cringe about it. Yeah. It's so revealing. And I think if you think about it, like, most social media content is like this. Like, you know, when people, like, do, like, you know, make a vlog about their day or, like, just document their lives in this particular way, it's like, they're fantasizing about, like, how their life could be packaged and, like, how people could receive their life, you know? It's a fantasy, kind of. Yeah, it's... it's and Which I don't think it's necessarily corrosive, but it's just interesting like that it's a literal format of like kind of fantasy. Yes. Um, it's almost like they are... I mean, it, 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 it kind of goes back to like... It's like using your daydreams to incite... Because um, daydreaming can also kind of be a form of jealousy, right? Which I think a lot of the time social media triggers in people. Definitely me, where I'm like looking at something on TikTok or on Instagram and I'm like, why is my life not that way? Or why don't I have that? And like, that makes you daydream about 
what if your life was like that or what if you had that in a way that's like kind of corrosive like it's mm. not productive that's that's a, one of the more like maybe unproductive types of daydreams where like it's a comparative thing mm-hmm. that I think social media is like uniquely good at teasing out well especially because you're seeing somebody else's daydream kind of right like they're kind of and I, I don't mean to make it sound so nefarious because I think we all do it yeah um but like you know someone's packaging their life in a way that in whatever way they think is pleasing whether they're like the more kind of you know shitty photo jump flash photography or something else it's like all of it is projecting like kind of who how you want to be seen or like who you'd like to be right and and also people tend especially on tiktok tend to make the same kind of um have the same kind of bit over and over again because that's what they went viral for the first time you know what i mean and like that i think emphasizes it even more because it's like i have to almost play into this this original daydream keeps getting rehashed. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, like, Emily Mariko is, like, a good example of that. Yes. I mean, I've never really watched much of her content, but I imagine she's, like, the kind of, like, beautiful chopping and, like, the really, like, like orderly way of, like, preparing a meal that, like, never quite comes to bear when you're the one actually cooking. Right, or, like, this couple that comes up on my feed a lot. I don't know if they've ever come up on yours. Matt and Abby? No. Okay, there's this young couple that are, like, 23 years old, um, they live in Arizona and like Matt is like, <laughs> wait, 23. Yes. I'm and she's pregnant already. Oh my um, God. Yeah. <laughs> and like, they've kind of went viral. I would say like a lot of their most viral videos are basically like Matt being like the ultimate wife guy. Like he's like so obsessed with his wife and like loves like hyping her up in kind of like a performative way. Oh God. But of course, like I, it, of course it plays. Like I'm sucked into it. Like I'm what a good guy, but also like you're so annoying. You know, it's that weird. Right, right, right. It, it's an, I can see why it is effective, even though I'm like so conscious of it at the same time. I know that's the mystery of social media is because like you kind of know what you're seeing is fake, right? But it's so convincing because it's like we're used to that medium of like, or, or like I mean, we're used to movies and like you know, like I was saying about like a guy imagining a guy falling in love with the details of me. It's like we're really used to kind of like this like very narrativized version of life. So like it seems real almost to us when you see it. And then you compare your own life to it, which I mean now we're just getting into like well-trod territory. But like your daydream is playing off of someone else's daydream too. You know, yes. it's not playing off of their reality. Right. It's a double daydream. Yeah, which gets very meta. It's like a hall of mirrors. <laughs> And it is owned by a company called Meta, so (laughs) come full circle. Okay, we've been talking for a long time. I know, there's so much to say. I know, I'm like, I could actually go on and on. Yeah, it's such a a fertile, fertile territory. And that's what good writing can do. Yeah. Thanks, Leslie. Thanks, Leslie. It's like, I actually do think it's like, good writing is like a, it's a portal. This is the final thing I'm going to say. It's like a portal to like new ideas and new understandings that actually are separate from just like, thinking the writer's amazing. Which I think is like, you know, something, something's like kind of well-written, but kind of ends there, just with like a really good impression of the writer. It's just sort of like, okay, well, that yeah. didn't really take me anywhere, you know? Yeah, like ideally, it's doing more than, you're doing more than just admiring what the writer said. You're also like rethinking something about yourself or your, your own life, which is very, it's, it's rare that that happens, which I think it's a very powerful when it does. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I'm so glad you came on to talk with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's an honor. Let's go get some lunch. I'm hungry. I'm hungry too. <laughs> okay, that's it for this week. 
Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to Soft Streak for my theme music. Please leave a comment if you'd like to weigh in with your thoughts or maybe with your own daydreams. And I will see you on Friday. Bye. Baby